Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to John 9, not John 8 as I mistakenly put in the bulletin, but John 9. Not knowing a real good place to break here because the whole chapter is about the healing of this blind man. We're going to have to break at uh, verse 17 and we'll refer to the rest of the chapter as well. But the text is verse 38, the culmination of, of this man's journey who was blind into the fellowship of God and the confession of Christ. So John 9, let's hear the word of God, these words. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, master or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were engaging in the the sophistry of the day and of even our day. You just think of Job's friends, that if people have calamity in their life, there must be some sin behind it. They have a lot of calamity or some disease or blindness. must be a lot of sin behind it, either for themselves or uh, of their parents, grandparents, I suppose. Jesus brushes that away. He will not engage in that discussion It's not true. He answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath, referring to the fact that Jesus had transgressed their own rules about the Sabbath keeping. They had many of them, Sabbath day commandments. One of them that was they should not need things like clay and water together to make something. And so they're, they're nailing Jesus, they think, and they're proving that he's a sinner, he's not of God. So others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? 
He said, the blind man said, now the man who sees, he said, he is a prophet. That's as far as we'll get to read at this time because of uh, a time shortage problem. And so we need to get into the word and remind ourselves of the whole subject of this chapter. As we'll see, it continues on. And it's the restoration of the sight of this man born blind. In this, we are led not to the man, however, we are led to Jesus. There is a revelation of Jesus here. And he reminds us in the verses we read that he is, this man is born blind because now at this time, Jesus is going to uh, work the works of him who sent me. And that the reason he's blind is that the works of God should be revealed in him, this blind man, verse 3. And Jesus at this time declares he's the light of the world. And so the blindness now turned to sight is symbolic of his being the light of the world. And so that's on the foreground here. So not to the sins of the man, nor to the sight of the man, but to the Savior of the man, this, is, uh, this narrative is written. Besides that, there is a twofold um, effect of this miracle, and it's the faith of the man and the faith of others, but also the unbelief of the Pharisees who resist this uh, revelation here of the works of God. They become harder still, and even Jesus uses this as an occasion to say that for judgment he's come into the world, and that those who see may be blind, or say they see, may be blinded in hardness of judgment, and those who were blind might receive their sight. That's verse 39 and following. So there's this two-edged sword here of salvation and of judgment. But then this is a fitting thing that we consider this profession of this man uh, who professes at the end to believe that Jesus is the Savior um, as we would consider the confession of faith of Greg Dobson. Striking here that the confession of faith of this man was not allowed by the Jewish authorities. In fact, we read, that they cast him out, verse 34. They answered this man after he debated with them and rebuked them for not believing in Jesus. They said, you're completely born in sins and you're teaching us. They cast him out. Now that's a reference to excommunication. This one who confessed Jesus as the Christ was excommunicated from the church of that day, the Jewish church, the believers and their children in the covenant of God. They would not tolerate a confession of Jesus as the Christ. Later, they would crucify him. Now, they would cast out any who said that he was the Christ. And this is what they did to this man, and this to their shame, but to his sanctification and furtherance in the faith. Well, how fitting then for us to remind ourselves that we're doing something exact opposite of those people of the false church today, we're receiving a man who confesses Christ. We're happy about it. This is joy. This is great, great celebration for the people of God. And all of our joys compare or they, they, they fail 
compared to this, a man confesses his faith or a woman confesses her faith or a boy or a girl does, and they show the great work of God in Jesus saving us to be witnesses of his greatness. He's the light of the world. And so we want to consider one confession of the great light. First of all, that this is a revelation of the great works of God. The confession is, as long as, as, as well as other things. But then also, that when one makes this confession, there's temptation and there's reproach, and even there might be the casting out of churches in our day and the rejection by religious groups of our day of those who confess Christ. We must be ready. But then there's encouragement, and this encouragement is so touching here. When Jesus hears that this man who was cast out, verse 35, he went and found him out. He'd go to that man. He'd encourage that man, and he would elicit faith from him that in, in Jesus, who was the Son of God. And so he would make him say the confession willingly, Lord, I believe, and worship him. And so this is the confession of one who knows the confessed one, Jesus, coming near. So let's be encouraged, beloved, in our day, in this wonderful confession and the great work of God. This is a great work of God. This, what we've seen today, and this is what we see in the Bible of a man who's unnamed, could be any man, any woman. Lord, I believe, that's verse 38, and he worshiped him. It's a, a great thing because uh, the one's focus who says, I believe in Jesus, is right. It's a right focus. Your attention is drawn to one. You're not drawn to all the other things that you could confess and say, I'm a, I'm a follower of this person or of that person. I like this. I like that. I'm known of being this kind of person. You're focused on Jesus. On Jesus. Not even focused on your sins. You're focused on Jesus. That's a problem we can run into sometimes when we find our sins and we fall into our sins. We just focus on them, on the mud, the dirt, the unrighteousness of ourselves and of others. We either become proud about it or dismal, proud that we're not like others or we become dismal because we're just in the mud. And maybe even after you've confessed your faith, you say, oh, like tomorrow, say, oh, there I go again. There I go, and traveling and surfing on the internet and so on, were places I could not be, should not be. The focus is on Christ. This is a wonder. This man is led in his journey here, and it's a, like a sanctification um, in, in a, a really short time here that encourages this man. He's, he's led to believe in this Jesus, to trust in him, not just to focus on, but I'm going to trust in this one. I'm going to trust in him. Rely on him for forgiveness of sins and, and know that he is what he says he is and what this man would learn that he is. He's the light of the world. Now, when Jesus says this, 
that he's the light of the world, and he's said in other places, John 8, for example, I'm the light of the world. He's saying he's the life of the world, for without the light and without the sun, there would be no light. And Jesus saying, is saying he's the sun, the S-O-N of God, who gives life to the world and then enlightens those who are given life by him. And so he's everything, really. That's what he's saying. This is one metaphor or figure of speech that Jesus draws from creation itself, which is like a parable of the things of God. And he says, this is me. This, this is who I am. He's the light of the world. And I would say even Genesis 1 and John 1, which reflects upon the beginning, Genesis 1, which teaches the history of the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That very first day, there's no sun yet. There's no orb in the heavens. That's the fourth day. The first day, there's light. I believe that God was teaching about Jesus, the most important light of the world, when he created the light without the sun. That is the S-U-N. There was light before the sun teaching us all that the eternal sun who would come into the world by whom and for whom the worlds were made, is the light of the world from the beginning. The word that God communicates, that gives life, the enlightenment that sinners need and creatures need if they would know the truth of God. Jesus is believed here and worshipped here, confessed here, as he is now today the light of the world, the God over this world, the God who communicates to this world and makes it not a dark place, but a light place, a place of light and love and joy and, and intelligence and wisdom and people knowing what they're all about. Do you know what you're all about, believer? Do you know what life is all about. Can you make sense of the things in your life and the things that are going on, not only in, in Europe, but here and in your microcosm of a world, your little place? Do you, do you understand that? Do you have peace about that? Well, then, you know, something of this man who was born blind, now he sees, and who was seeing something beyond the optics of it all, seeing the, the truth, the significance of this one whom he apparently hadn't seen before because when he was blind, he was sent away to get healed and we don't read that he saw Jesus, but now he does. But he sees even beyond the man and understands and believes and worships this man, this light of the world, this son of God. That would mean for him that anything he learned about this one who's the light of the world, he would believe. When he learns of the truth of Jesus as the Son of God, as we'll see, and as the Son of Man, as the fullman of the prophet Daniel, the Son of Man, who is the King of, the, of Messiah, of, of God, the Messiah, he'll believe that too. When he learns, as does this man who was 
born blind and now he sees. Of the doctrines of Jesus, he's going to believe those too. And when he learns of the commandments of Jesus, the light of the world, he's going to say, well, that's light upon my path because it's Jesus' light, so I'll walk in the light and I'll show how much I love Jesus because Jesus himself says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he's full of Jesus. And when he learns then, and he can hardly think that he would know this now, that this Jesus will, will have to be crucified and that this is a good thing, He's going to confess Jesus, who's the forgiver of sins, and whose blood, all my sins are washed away. Everything about Jesus. I believe, he says. I believe. And he worshipped him. Lord, I believe. Savior, I believe. Friend, I believe. Shepherd, I believe. God, I believe. Forgiver of my sins, I believe you forgive my sins. Now, this is a great work of God in him, this confession. As we see today, it's a great work of God in Jesus. Jesus says, this man was born blind, that the works of God should be revealed in him. In verse 3. So this confession is the work of God being revealed in him. And, of course, it's revealed in the fact that he's healed. I haven't even talked about that yet hardly, but now I will. Because this work of Jesus making this man who was blind from birth to see now is truly a work of God in Jesus and through Jesus. In fact, a work of creation he worked eyes that optometrists or sight that optometrists and ophthalmologists could never work. He gave him eyes. He gave him the optics. He gave him whatever else is needed there for him to see. And it was, I guarantee, greater than 2020 vision. He saw Christ and everything in that light. What sight he must have had. And, you know, the story, how he did this. Showed Jesus, in fact, was this great God, and you spit. Isn't that something? How would you like it? Somebody said, I can heal you, and started spitting and going into the mud and making more mud. And he said, now I'm going to just put that on your eyes, this one and this one. Would you, would you do it? Well, you wouldn't see if you were blind. You wouldn't know what he's doing, but apparently this man did know something of it, and that's what Jesus did. He, he took some clay, and he took some spit, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with the clay, the very opposite of those who spit on people today in contempt, seeking to start a fight. This was the spitting of anointment, a holy spitting and bringing together of mud and spit together so that this man could see. So he anointed the eyes, and then he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, translated sent, Old Testament Shiloh or Shiloah. 
Now, this was a pool that Hezekiah had made in the city of Jerusalem that was built in the time of Assyrians. The Assyrians were threatening the city. And Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah, of whom great things are said in the scripture, he, he saw to it that there was provision for, from what, for water for the people in the city when they're being besieged by an army around them so that underneath the walls of the city, a tunnel was made from the, the spring Gihon. And so from the spring outside the city, waters flowed into the city and could provide for the city in this being besieged and they'd have water. And it's called sent because the waters came from outside the city into the city. And that's where Jesus said, now you go and you wash in that pool. Now, the significance of this spiritually, commentators are, are disagreed. There's all kinds of opinions. But certainly it's this, or one of, one of the, the basic thing is this, is that Jesus is pointing this man to himself who is sent, Himself, Jesus, he's from God, and he's pointing him outside of Jerusalem to this place, this mysterious spring, Gihon, but, but also to heaven, because God provides for the waters of Jerusalem, and this is all symbolic of the, the wonderful work of salvation of God of this people, but that's running ahead. Here's the point. Jesus would have this man know that this is a great work of God in this healing of him, and that it's focused somehow on himself, Jesus. Not on the man's going and getting washed, but on the fact that he goes to this place that's a holy, symbolic place of the provision of God. So in this man's being spit upon and anointed with this mud, uh, this mud concoction, and then going blindly or maybe being led to this pool of which he was aware and washing off, this is all symbolic of the fact that God was healing this man, a great work of God. But then, of course, there's something underneath this to which we've alluded. The man, by this healing of his sight, is healed in the soul. Now, we don't know if he was regenerated before this or not, can't say. This is this transition period where Jesus is working among the Jews, after all, the covenant people to whom the promises were. They might not have needed the first light of, of God. There were people who were God-fearers in, in this day, but certainly they needed the new light that God was shedding upon God. That is, God was revealing in Jesus. So they had to be turned from their conceptions of God to the truth of God as it is revealed in Jesus. And that's what this man is being turned to see. Turned from this general conception of God, Jehovah God, the God of Israel, now to this God revealed in the person and in the great work of God in Jesus at this time. He was born blind for this reason for such a time as this, where Jesus in the fullness of time would show off the godness of God, the salvation of God, the mercy of God, 
And he'd show not only that he's the creator, therefore, but that he is the savior of whom Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 42. I'll read that here. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice and so on. He is the one who is a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. This man reflects the great work of God in Jesus who made all things out of nothing and said, let there be light. And now makes of a sinner a saint, one who lives truly and sees clearly, understands and believes and worships. As Greg, we don't know when a man like Greg was born again. Uh, necessarily. Mysterious work of God, the new birth, isn't it? Sometimes underneath our understand or our conception and, and uh, realization of things. After all, it's a new birth, and which one of us is aware when he's born that he's born? There's this work of God prior to this, this Holy Spirit conception great and mysterious underneath things and in the soul sort of great work of God, the new life, marvelous regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit. We do know this man was so moved by Jesus here and enlightened by Jesus that he was sanctified at this time as at no other time and in no other way that he, that he could be. He's the great work of God of regeneration, therefore, and his being given sight is a symbol of that. But in reality, he's also this great work of God, now that he has the eyes to see, who shows that he is a confessor of Christ in, in everything that follows here. And this, by the way, is the man's biography, John 9. The man is born blind, he sees, we don't read of him anymore in the Bible. And he doesn't have a name, not for us. So you've got to put your name there. And you've got to understand that this is an example for us to follow. Amazing how this man's understanding of what has gone on is in, enhanced. As it's like he's taken, now that he sees, and he was known by everybody as a, as a blind man, and a beggar because he couldn't work for a living, uh, at least in a usual way. And they, they want to know what's happened to him. So the neighbors read of that. Uh, they're saying, verse 8, the, the neighbors, those who'd previously seen him, and he was blind and he was begged, they say, no, is this the guy? And others said, no, he, he isn't, and he's just like him. And then he admitted he, he is the man. But notice here, 
First of all, all the man could say, who hadn't seen Jesus, he went to the, the pool of Siloam and he came back, but doesn't read here that we saw, he saw Jesus. He doesn't know who he was except by voice. He says, <clears throat> verse 11, is a man called Jesus. He made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. And they said to him, where is he? I don't know. I don't know. And then he's brought to the Pharisees, and, and they ask him some questions and so on. He admits that he was born blind and that uh, he was healed by this person. And uh, then they say he can't be from God, the Pharisees, and all that. But notice the confession that the man says at this time. First, he's a man, Jesus, verse 11. By the end of the conversation with the Pharisees, he's convinced he's a prophet. He said, he's a prophet. What do you say about him, the Pharisees say, because he opened your eyes. He's, he says, he's a prophet. He's not just a man. But he's a spokesman from God, and there's this amazing thing about him. He's a different sort of man. The Jews, they then go to the parents, and more on that presently. But you see, and then, and then he's brought back to the... the uh, the Pharisees, verse 28 and so on. And he debates with them. And about this time, this man, this blind man now healed, is growing. He's growing in an understanding of who Jesus is. He's, he's so indwelt by God now and seeing things clearly now and focused on Jesus, that it begins to stand up for Jesus. And so the Pharisees are debating. They say he's a sinner and he can't be from God because he's a sinner. He broke their Sabbath laws. And this man is not convinced at all of that. And then he starts reasoning. It's not just his experience then that he's, he's seeing and that makes it all right. My experience must be true. That's what a lot of Christians say today. I have experienced God, therefore it must be true. Be careful of that. You might say you've experienced God and had this great experience with God and so on, but it might not be biblical. Be careful that your Christianity is not mysticism. That is, a kind of religion without the word. Well, this man, he knew something of the Old Testament, and so he starts to reason Reasoning from what he knows is the truth. He's a covenant child. He's a Jew. And he's been taught these scriptures, though he can't read them for himself. And mom and dad were, were something to him at that point. And so he says, well, yeah, he's opened my eyes. We know, verse 31, that God does not hear sinners. He's quoting a psalm there. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him since the world began. It hasn't been... It has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who's been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's reasoning not just now from what he sees, but from what he understands in the light of the Bible is true of God. And anyone who's a man from God. And you see, this is the issue here. Is Jesus from God? Is he sent from outside the city? Though he is a Jew, 
But is he sent from heaven or has he come from Satan's den somewhere? Maybe some cave in the Wuhan Peninsula. Who knows? Is this man for real representing God and what he says and teaches? Or is he a fake? And the Jews thought he was a fake because he went in their faces. But this man says, he can't be a fake. What a miracle. What a miracle. And so there's this progress in this man in the way of controversy. And then finally, when he's cast out, Jesus heard it, verse 35, and when he'd found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Again, I don't think he ever saw Jesus before that time, so he's not equating the healer with the Jesus who's now speaking to him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. So he goes from saying, is this man Jesus, to is a prophet, to is this man who's from God, and, and now he's convinced that he's the son of God, he's God in the flesh, he's Messiah, and he worships him. Now, this all comes about not in a seminary. He goes and he's enlightened by Jesus physically and spiritually. He doesn't go to the seminary or go to the theological bookstore and read about these things. He's living. Living. Interviewed by the neighbors like, here, you're exhibit A of something great that's happened. Gone to the Pharisees. They go to the parents and and, and, you know, back to the Pharisees, and it's life and life's problems through which this man's final confession and final statement of faith and worship is evinced. It comes out of life and life's problems. And I would offer for your consideration that his first problem this man had was with his parents. His parents, though they may have been God-fearers, they may have been true believers in God, were not ready to confess Jesus. Not publicly. Because And the Pharisees came, and they admitted, yes, there was a man born blind. That was our son, and now he sees. They admit that. But who did this, and by what means he did it? We can't say that. I, I think they're lying. I think they knew. I think they knew this son told them, this is man Jesus. And, uh, but they didn't want to say it. His parents... Um, said, they, we don't know. He, he's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. He's 21 or so. He can speak for himself. And his parents said these things that they didn't know. And now you just go to him. 
because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, because of that fear, the parents said, he's of age, ask him. We might say they're putting their son under the bus. Or we might say they're examples of neutral Christians or people who think they could be neutral. Not for, not again. And when the going gets rough in confessing Christ, we'll just pass on that one. You leave that for the debaters. Young man, this is the difficulty of being a Christian in our age. The difficulty of being a Christian is not just in parents, and, but also in churches and other religious groups that aren't willing to confess Christ if it gets people upset. Like the Jewish authorities. Not willing to confess Christ if it gets people that we respect otherwise upset. This is the world, religious world we live in, the day and age of a lukewarm. Jesus, okay, but your way okay kind of religion. Increasingly. Increasingly, there's people who confess Christianity and they might be called evangelicals and yet the harder things of Jesus... Say his doctrines, for, oh, I don't know about that. I don't, I, I'm not going to take a stand there. So they might say, well, God saves sinners, but you've got to help yourself to God. Or he who saves you and who sent his son to die for you and, and really paid for your sins there, you, you'll never come to him because you don't do something. That's a problem. It's a problem here also with this narrative of the man born blind. What does Jesus say is going to be revealed in this man born blind? Everything about him, his confession too. He says this, the works of God are going to be revealed in him. The works of God are going to be revealed in him through me and my working. Well, beloved, if we say... And if people today say salvation is the work of God and also of me in maybe choosing for him or, or believing in, in, in salvation so it depends on me, God does his part and I do mine. If that's the case, it's a denial that this whole narrative is a revelation of the work of God, not of God and man. Jesus doesn't say this. Neither this man or his parents have sinned, but that the works of God and man should be revealed in him. So that the work of God on his part and you on your part might be revealed. No, he doesn't. Jesus is teaching here and revealing here in this man, sovereignly saved by him and enlightened by him, that there is no salvation except of the Lord 
and of the grace of God and of the will of God. It's not of him who wills or who believes or who runs and works, Romans 9, but of God who shows mercy. And so when the man says, and this man today says, and we all, we all every day say, I believe, we're not trusting in our faith. We're trusting in Jesus. Our faith is even imperfect. But Jesus is perfect. Well, so I would say that that is the, tempta- the, the problem of the age for a young confessor and an older confessor. Let's just tone it down, shall we? Because the popular evangelicals aren't pleased. And we so narrow it down that only God saves sinners that we ourselves are smaller, maybe. We don't want to do that. We don't want to say either that Jesus is the only way. That's what many people are saying today. Many people. Many, many people are saying Those who say they're Christians and they prefer Christianity, they're saying, however, honest Jews can be saved without confessing that Jesus is Christ. Muslims can be saved because they do good things. They're even way ahead of us with regard to their view of homosexuality and and feminism and so on. And there's the good book, the Bible, but isn't there the good book of the Mormons and so on? Increasingly, as the day draws near for the end, the Bible says there's going to be an antichrist, but before that, a great apostasy. A great falling away of the truth, from the truth of the church that once held it. It was in her creeds, it was her understanding, and she wouldn't yield for a minute to the higher critics who said, yeah, I don't know. Hath God said in Genesis that he made all things in six literal days? I don't know about that. You see, here's the temptation, and this was the time of the religious authorities here to believe in Jesus or to believe in enlightened man and science and Fauci and whoever else says we, we have the answers. And the liberal theologians, they have the answers. What are you going to believe? Is it just Jesus, just his word? Is it taking him for what he says or, or not? That's the temptation of the age. And of course, the many temptations there are in our life, not just doctrinally, but in our life. Say, ah, I'll, I'll go to Jesus today um, after I'm surfing the internet for a while. And you get so distracted that all your devotions are a bunch of hypocrisy. Because you've had the world wide web before you've had the light of the world. 
What shall it be? Young people, what shall it be? Shall we have the web of the world or the light of the world? What do we like? And what do we love? What is your freedom? What is mine? What is our, our knowledge? Who is our focus? What do we read? What bars do we go to or not? What is this? But then there's reproach, and that he gets both barrels from the Pharisees. Again, the man was called before the tribunal of the Pharisees, the, the heads of state, as it were, the religious ecclesiastical state. And they say, give God the glory, verse 24. They're putting him under oath. You said before that he's a prophet and you chided us because, um, well, you said he was a prophet. Now you tell the truth. Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And so the man continues his confession. This is... what they're doing here. Everything so that Jesus would not be confessed. We know this man is a sinner. And the man here, I, I wish I had the chutzmah, or whatever you want to call it, the guts of this guy, right away to answer these authorities as he did. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? You want to be his disciples too? <laughs> I love it. Then they reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. They're trying to divide gospel from law like many people do today. We know that God spoke to Moses for this fellow. We don't know where he is from. The man answers and why? What a marvelous thing. You do not know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. You don't know. You don't know. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God, does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and said to him, you're completely blind born in sins and you're teaching us and they cast him out talk about being quick on the excommunication trigger out and that man cast out of society basically remember the Jews tried to live this theocratic existence within the Roman Empire could hardly pass it off but they did business with Jews. They had no dealings with Samaritans even. And if you were cast out, you were like a leper. There was no place for you in the worship, and your, your life was done. Your life was done. And so this is severe. And this is exactly what is happening today. We're being tempted to death. We're being reproached to death. On every side, there's these temptations and reproachments and people reviling us and so on, reviling the, the Jesus that we believe and the confession of the church so that we leave off living and leave off testifying and leave off shining that Jesus is the light of the world 
and mine too, no matter what, even if you extinguish my light and my life. The beauty of it, of this man's sanctification, compressed in a narrative here, one chapter, might have occurred over some days or weeks, is that the result of it is Jesus comes running. Beautiful. Here's this man. Here's his church. Here's his family that's trying to do what's right and love God and love the neighbor. And you're reproached for it. You're tempted on every side. And, and you're, you might be tempted to waver and so on. And then you're cast out, reviled by the whole of the religious world that leads the way in morality, the church of the great humanist. That's what it's becoming. And there's no place for you in this life anymore. And wonder what the man was thinking. If this is being a Christian, I don't know. If this is following Jesus, I don't know about this. Why isn't everybody surrounding him and following him like I would? So Jesus comes running. I doesn't say that. But he came looking for him. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he had this conversation, eliciting from him faith. The man answers, who is he, Lord? Who's the Son of God that I may believe in him? He's ready. And Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you. He doesn't even say that he's the one who healed him. He's just saying what Jesus says, words from heaven, words of life. He's the sermon maker after all. And then he said, immediately, Lord, I believed and worshipped. Jesus came near. Beloved, that's what I leave you with. Beloved brother Greg, that's what I leave you with. As you confess Christ, and you battle the temptations of life, and you bear the reproach of him who suffered outside the gate, Jesus will come near to you. Jesus will comfort you and guide you and give you more light in the dark areas of life. He's that kind of a God, a Savior, loving Savior, shepherd, who seeks out and finds his own and gives them peace and courage. So be strong, brother. Be strong, church. Carry on. Jesus is the light of the world. And by grace our light. And as Jesus also reminds us in John 8, because he's the light of the world, those who follow him shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life and themselves be witnesses to the light of the world. The church of Jesus Christ. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us Bless us as we've received a confession and witnessed the great work of God. Work in all of our hearts, Lord, to confess Jesus, the light of the world. And saved in him, enlightened by him, the light of the great word he's given, now written and inspired, we shall carry on for his sake. Amen.